Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Hello. 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 Hi there. Hello. <laughs> I am very tired. <laughs> Hi, everybody. We've been at PAX uh, Unplugged. Well, yes. we. It's a bit of a, well, not even a royal we. It's just an exclusionary re- we there. <laughs> and by we, we mean not you. <laughs> yes. Although some of I, you I, were. I, some of the listeners were. Mm, that's true. I mean, that's um, we're, we're going to be speaking about PAX Unplugged a lot in this episode. In fact, it is the focus. Because while we had a different episode lined up for the last two weeks, it fell through each time. <laughs> so now we've we've just taken it as a sign that art doesn't matter and music can go to hell. <laughs> Uh, we don't we don't care about that we our art is the written word and the spoken voice um that is all all we know although sadly uh, so, lost lost in the midst of time is your uh, rant about uh, war of the worlds that was a great rant so okay listeners if you have <laughs> it wasn't a rant i was just surprised that neither dixie nor eddie had heard of jeff wayne's war of the worlds i had never even of- heard of jeff wayne I don't know what else he's done. The only reason I know his name is because it's on the album cover. Uh, and it's for, for listeners who don't know, there we go. Look, look, you've dragged me back onto last week <laughs> and the week before's topic. Yes, you did yes. this. Given to your hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just an excellent uh, retelling of War of the Worlds via musical. And it's got a bit of Thin Lizzy in it. It's got uh, Richard Burton as the voice of the the, really? the narrator in it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, a seminal part of my childhood, my upbringing. I had it on vinyl. I still have it on vinyl. Had it on CD. I probably listened to it on Spotify as well. It's that important. It is the thirty second yeah. best selling studio album of all time in the UK. And somehow never crossed the Atlantic. I mean, it's, it was sold worldwide, but it just doesn't look like it ever got as big here, I guess. Oh, yeah, it's on Spotify, sure enough. Huh. Well, listeners, it's up to you. You need to make yourselves aware of War of the Worlds, because, damn it, it's that good. And also, uh, Cthulhu by Gaslight by Chaosium, not our sponsor for this episode. <laughs> Unless they want um, to. Feel free to give us money, yeah. Chaosium. <laughs> yeah, do it. Uh, has an entire chapter on the Martians from War of the Worlds, but through the lens of the musicals, so that's quite nice. Anyway, hey, that isn't what we're here to talk about. You know what's funny, though? Mm. This thing got big in the UK. It went like nine times platinum. It went platinum yeah. in New Zealand, really? platinum in the Netherlands, platinum in Canada, ten times platinum in Australia, gold wow. in Germany, and did not do any of those things in the US. So yeah, that is why Eddie and I have not heard of it. Wow. And also, I can understand better now why Matthew was so surprised. Yeah, I, well, because I have been to Australia, South Africa, Canada, and all the rest of these places, <laughs> clearly, on the War of the Worlds tour. Um, <laughs> um, and each time, I was just amazed. Yeah, everyone knew about it. America, nothing. It was something to do with the Cold War, clearly. We should make an RPG called Matthew Dawkins's Jeff Wayne's War of Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That that does actually bring to mind uh, onto the subject of game of uh, game licenses that we should be picking up or would be fun to explore. 
I wonder, is War of the Worlds public domain at this point? Yes. Uh, I feel like it must be. Yes. Well, I, I don't know whether um, through Succession or someone else picking up the, the rights to it, you know? Well, so, um, uh, this is, this, yeah, Sherlock Holmes nerded them, but um, uh, War of the Worlds, the, the original text should be in the public domain. Now, certain interpretations of War of the Worlds may still be protected, um, mm. This has come up for situations like uh, Buck Rogers, for example. It's like you can reference the original story that Buck Rogers featured in, but you cannot feature Buck Rogers as a character in new stories because that character is protected. Okay. You can make a story that features the alien, the events of War of the Worlds, and put new characters into it, which has been done actually several times, like with Professor Challenger or Sherlock Holmes. But I don't know if like the aliens themselves may be protected under a different license and therefore I couldn't use them in new stuff because they may be protected still. Because copyright is weird. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. Next year, Matthew Dawkins is Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. <laughs> we might omit the Jeff Wayne. Sorry, Jeff, <laughs> if you're listening. No, you got to base it on the musical specifically. Right. No, no. Well, although I would love to do a role-playing game musical, or musical role-playing game, because that's a niche in the industry that hasn't been exploited yet. That probably sounds because... Yeah, but I, I feel like most role-players would struggle. Uh, I, well, maybe not most, but some would. I think it would have a very narrow niche. For instance, we know Eddie wouldn't like it. I, I wouldn't hear it. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I know... won't hear of it. <laughs> hear it. Uh, I mean, Philip Ricardo did power chords, not with us, True. but by himself, and that was kind of musical-ish. It's also that, uh, what, what was the one that came out like a couple years ago that was very glam rock inspired? Uh, um, something Children? I'll look at it. Velvet Children? Talk. Velvet something? Yeah, that makes Frozen sense. though. Mm. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, ignore what I just said about it being an unexploited <laughs> niche in the industry. It Velvet has been mined generation. to death. Velvet Generation. Velvet, Velvet, Velvet Generation. That is a fantastic name, isn't it? What is yes. what is cool about this, though, is that, like, or what's, what's, what's interesting is that I don't know how much actual music you're doing as opposed to playing a band. True. I think in both cases you are playing in the musical scene, not necessarily playing music. Right. So, like, actually one where you had to, you know, burst into song to do better at things would be interesting. As uh, you both know, I love bursting into songs, so this sounds like a lot of fun for me. Oh, yeah, no, you, um, you're, you're OP for that kind of game, Dixie. Mo most people would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a game, and I, I really do not remember the title, so this is an anecdote that will go nowhere. It's very popular in the smaller UK conventions that take place in lodges and everything, because you, uh, you, all the players are supposed to bring along their own mixtape or CD, and you play it during the course of the game, or whenever your character is doing something, and you have to act as the music is directing you to. And it's very, very popular on this sort of indie circuit, and it it's released. I, I know that you can buy it, but for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of of this game. Is it? Uh, is it a LARP? Is it called My Jam? No, it's not a LARP. It's tabletop. Okay, because there is a LARP called My Jam where, like, whenever your song comes on the rotation, you have the spotlight for your character, so. Really? that That's something we need to add to the uh, NWE Aberrant Wrestling RPG, Eddie, just even on the, on the spot there. Yeah. Uh, something to do with entrance music. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm, we've not, I don't think we've included that yet. There no. you go. That this was this tangent was definitely worthwhile. 
Because, because think about it, all wrestlers need an entrance theme. It's true. And I, if anything, if there's any great weakness to AEW right now, WWE's main rival, it's maybe it's the sound quality of the TV show, but I can never actually hear the song that's playing. And that means it doesn't stick in my head as memorable. And right. the few ones that are loud enough to hear over the sound of the commentators in the audience just seem to be sort of generic 90s biddle. So my you friends know. and I, when we used to play that Xbox wrestling game I talked about before, the one where you can make yourself, Yep. one of the things mm-hmm. that we thought was so cool and innovative, because this was in 2003 or so, was that you could you know take MV3s from your computer or whatever these right. files were and put them on the xbox so that you could use them as your entrance music yep so all of us had just songs that we liked because the whole group of my friends that used to play that were also the group that we did karaoke with so we all were you know musical on some level <laughs> nice. and um mine was bad reputation by joan jett and Ooh. so i had this little short wrestler wearing like you know leather shorts and fishnets and knee high combat boots and she had my haircut and glasses even because you could do that which seems very unsafe in the ring but okay <laughs> um and she like came out you know rock into joan jet she like smashed a guitar at the end of her entrance and got in the ring and Ooh. i thought that was cool i felt that does cool sound about cool. it and of course joan jett has a recurring appearance on wwe now doesn't she she plays ronda rousey's entrance music whenever she appears live yep I think at the big pay per views. Mm-hmm. Does she? Yep. Yep. So there you go. Life imitating. Well, she stole that from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, sorry. Joan Jet imitating Dixie is what no, I meant. No, Ronda, Ronda Rousey <laughs> imitating Dixie. She stole the Joan Jet entrance music from me. Is what I'm saying. Well, I'm, mm. I'm sure if you call Ronda Rousey out, she will take it uh, quite well and not at all attempt to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I get Tigger. No, no, I can't. Spoiler She cannot take her. <laughs> I like how we introduced this episode and we're like, we're going to talk a lot about Pax Unplugged. We so far talked about wrestling, musicals, War of the Worlds. Uh- you know, these are the best episodes. Let's keep on this train. We'll get to Pax Unplugged. I was worried that before we started, we wouldn't be able to make it stretch out to an hour. So let's just keep going. <laughs> Don't tell the audience. But this was the plan all along. <laughs> And since you're the one that edits this, you're the person who gets to decide if that bit stays in or not. So that's going to be interesting. It'll it'll stay in. <laughs> it will. Uh, they they can they can sit there and go, "Ooh, isn't Matthew a scamp?" or something like that. If they were Victorians listening to this on a, <laughs> this is falling apart as you're talking, just step by step. These analogies yeah. crumbling away under your feet. <laughs> what what would a Victorian? A gentleman have listened to music on uh, a, a con- They were going to a concert, I suppose. Yeah, you weren't buying <laughs> you weren't buying vinyl in the nineteenth century. Um, but hmm. no, but I, weren't were Victrolas not around? Then? Victrolas they... came out like the early nineteen hundreds, I believe. Right, but I mean, technically speaking, it's late Victorian era. Yes, is that like those automated pianos? No, but those were around too. The the yeah. the Victrolas are the things you always see at old movies. It has like a record that sits on it, but then like a big horn looking thing, mm. like a really early record player. Oh well, with like a wind up. Uh, yeah, yeah, a crank. yeah. Hmm. I've always wanted one or of those. A, 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 a gramophone. Yes, but then they must play. Hmm. Gramophone has been a trademark since 1887. So. Oh. Okay. Well, technically, technically. All right. and yeah, the, Queen Victoria was around for another 
what, four, five years? And the phonograph was invented in 1877. Sure, but invented in, in, in practical oh, no, use is different. But but if there's someone trademarked it, then it probably was in the right. 80s. So I stand corrected. But you are correct, Eddie. They, they, they mostly would have gotten to concerts or if they were members of the Hoi Ploi, they would have had, you know, people come sing at their house and stuff during parties. Or they would have sung yeah. amongst oh. themselves, which is another popular pastime. Yes, just playing the piano and singing. That mm-hmm. I mean, if yeah. if you if you watch like Downton Abbey or something or any Jane Austen movie, whatever that happens all the time. Yes, I'm going. We're all going to stand around the piano and sing Christmas songs. Yeah, or you know, you like find the one who's who's best at piano. You put them at the piano, and then one or two people might sing while everybody else mingles. Indeed. Uh, simpler time. Think of what they could have achieved if they had role playing games. You know, isn't there a piano at Midwinter in the bar? Like we could make this happen. It's true. Does one of us play the piano at all? I was going to say, we've no. got to find the one person that plays piano at Midwinter, but... Yeah, I could play... The, I played the keyboard when I was at school. That's about as as far as it goes. Obviously, it's a similar kind of principle, but uh, it has been a very long time. I can play one song on the piano, and that's part of your world from Little Mermaid, because I learned it when I was, like, ten. But okay, let's start. <laughs> I played guitar 30 years ago. So you are the most qualified. The The most qualified to play piano. (laughs) Yes, it's a string instrument. It's got strings. (laughs) A guitar and a piano are basically identical. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're hearing loss. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how was Pax unplugged? There was no pianos there. I was very disappointed. (laughs) Hard right turn. Hard right turn. Um. It was fun. Uh, It was busy. It was in the. Like the convention center in downtown Philadelphia, as always, where it is often very hot and very dry in mm-hmm. the convention center. Yeah. Uh, so for all that it's, you know, 30, 40 degrees outside, you walk in and it's like, I need to be wearing a tank top. Like, this is bad. Um, but there were a lot of our friends there, a lot of vendors there. We had a lot of nice people working our booth and running demos. I saw a lot of fans came by the table. Kind of like the, the, the big overview of it. Um, ate a lot of food. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we did differently this year is um, we didn't smart sell anything at the booth. Um, we decided to, to use the space for for cho- t- showing off the books we're making um, and demo space. And then right across the aisle from us, like you, you turn around, and you, it's right in front of you, was Studio 2 with our books on display. So people come over, they're able to play our games, talk about our books, and then walk right across and buy stuff. Yeah. Which I think worked out really well because, like, in the past, I've always felt bad when I was running the booth. It's like, there's three of us running the booth and we're all in conversations with somebody, sometimes important conversations. Like, we have mm-hmm. business meetings and stuff occasionally. And there's some forlorn person just standing there clutching their copy of whatever they would just like to purchase and leave. Right. And I'm like, sorry, have to stop this conversation. Got to go run this person's credit card. I I apologize. Give me one second. Everybody wait, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh that 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 still even happened a little bit with um the selling thing because sometimes you just get talking to somebody and somebody else like only has one very short question <laughs> and you're trying to get to them you just can't always but we tried we want to talk to all of you i promise 
Yeah. Did uh, were there any familiar customer faces from Gen Con and other conventions that uh, the two of you have attended this year, or was it mostly a new audience? What's a familiar face? I'm face blind. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, you're not the right person to ask. <laughs> okay. A, was that was that a familiar voice or familiar name? Uh, there are quite a few people who are regulars on our forums and blog and uh, various other channels. There. Uh, I'm not going to try to say his last name because it's going to sound real bad, but my friend Adam was there and he wore a different Onyx Path backer t-shirt every day. Yes. Um, so he was like a proud backer of Aberrant one day and a proud backer of, you know, I think the only one that he brought and didn't wear was his Fetch Quest shirt. He did, he did wear his Pirates Pugmar shirt. But yeah, he was, he, was a, he was a proud backer every single day, which I thought was very cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our friend Yodin from the blog, who yes. we have talked about several times, Dominic. Mm-hmm. Uh, super super nice guy. Always like talking to him. He 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 played a few demos. They tried to get me to play with him in a Scarlands demo. By the time we were starting, it was like twenty minutes to my lunch, and I was like, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm hungry. <laughs> I I like truly did want to play, but I also truly did want to eat. So once again, the allure of tabletop evades Dixie. I. It was hungry, Matthew. <laughs> the I wanted well food. Needs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my other small complaint about Max and Plug from this year is that the entrances were very far away from everything, unless you were in like one of the meeting rooms, one twenty through one twenty six, or that's that's it. Everything else was far away. <laughs> so leaving to get anything was always a a, a bit of a walk. And also, um, they did have uh, um, security, which is understandable. They had security at the, the uh, various entrances. Um, they had to funnel people through the security to make sure that people were getting their bags checked and whatnot. Um, so it's understandable precaution, but at the same time, it didn't mean that if you had to leave to get something from your hotel, for example, it was basically a half an hour before you could get back because you had to leave, go to where you need to go, and then come back through to that one or two entrances, like Dixie said, go through security, and then walk all the way back to the to, the you know, dealer's hall or whatever, so. Yeah, I definitely got my steps in. I got my steps in this weekend. That's true, yeah, same here. So did you, so other than Scarred Lance, was there anything the two of you got to run or play? I got to run a lot of Pugmire. So what we actually did this year, was a, it was a nice system. It was inspired by uh, Games on Demand, um, where everybody who volunteered to uh, run games or were voluntold they were going to run games, um, Basically, said you know, pick a couple of games that you're willing to run, and um, Matt McElroy made up these um, laminated sheets um, that said you could, you know, one, you know, one of these two games. And the first person to sign up for one of the games meant that was the game that was going to be run for that two-hour block. Um, right. So mine was Pugmire and Fetch Quest, and basically nobody wanted to play Fetch Quest. Everyone wanted to play Pugmire. Um, so I, I ran a lot of Pugmire during that. But it, it was a nice concept in the sense that, you know, like uh, – uh, Neil ran a little bit of Mummy as well as Scion, and um, you know Megan, you know ostensibly was going to also run like Contagion Chronicle, but she ended up bring a lot of changes because that was took popular. So it theoretically gave uh, the game master a chance to kind of run something a little different every now and then if people were really into it, and also say, hey, if you don't play this game, show up at this time, be the first person to sign up, and then that will be the game we'll run. Yeah, yeah, we had um, we. We have mostly things that we're currently like that are out in the world or that will be soon is what we were trying to run. Right. So we did have a mm-hmm. few people who were like, oh, I'm sad because you don't have, you know, insert book from three years ago there. And I'm like, sorry, we're focusing on like 
current things, you can still get that on Drive Through RPG. Like, yep. please, please go do that. So, and also, I mean, um, uh, uh, we, we were able to showcase a couple of upcoming things, like um, uh, uh, Crystal. Uh, one of our options was uh, Chicago by Night, which was very popular and always filled up. Um, and so she ran a call, like a little two hour demo of Chicago by night. And cause, uh, there was a group there called Gehenna gaming. They were there on behest of Modifius running just V5 and they're running. Hi Gehenna gaming. Hello Gehenna gaming. Hi, we, I got to meet some the guys or them or people from the first time. And they were, they're, they're seem very cool. Um, but they were booked. Apparently they just always had people at the games. And so like people, there was an overflow of people to us to play in the Chicago by night demo. So we wouldn't get their kind of V5 demo fix in. So that was that was entertaining, um, but no. oh, that's that's gratifying to know people were so into it, uh, and uh, I I have n- heard nothing but positive reports about how Gehenna Gaming were running their their stand and how they were running their games. I've seen quite a lot of tweets and just reports here, there, and everywhere about their performance at this convention. So kudos to them. Yeah, they had their like. And thank you for sending players our way. Yeah, they had their like official T-shirts on. They were super nice. They were just every single one of them that I met was very very sweet. So yeah. I can't speak for all of them, but that was that was cool. I always like meeting very nice people at conventions who are you know running games as opposed to the horror stories you hear sometimes. I have not heard any horror stories out of Pax Unplugged, so yay. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's always good. But yeah, we uh, we ran kind of demos. We made a couple of announcements. What did we announce? That's Dixie? exciting. What did we announce? Um, you know, we announced that Trinity and Trinity Aeon were in print. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's mumbling, yeah, I suppose that's great. No, no, seriously, we should talk about that for a second because... Um, yeah, no, we actually should. <laughs> uh, first of all... Um, I was just subverting expectations, Eddie. I right, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I led you into the one thing, you announced a different thing, so I appreciate that. Keep, that's a swerve, Keep bro. on my toes, right. Improv, it's all improv. Um... Uh, but I mean, Ian has talked pretty openly about the fact that this was this game is taking a long time to get out the door, and, and there's lots of reasons why that was. Um, part of it was the idea that came that Richie started this off came before Onyx Path was even officially a company. So I mean, keep that in mind. Um, but I mean, this has been something that definitely has been a long road, and and it's, it's out there. I know Ian is thrilled, Danielle is thrilled, uh, John Steed is. is elated that it's all finally out there and people are really excited about it um i've heard lots of things like you know people who played the original versions all the changes they ever would have wanted to have made were made um people who are excited about the core book which was really really cool um the yeah fact- there are a lot of folks who want to use that to run various like pop culture based slightly super powered people kind of games which yeah I like leverage awesome. comes up a lot for example yeah 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 just people who are real good at like you could play oceans 11 with that game and i kind of want to yeah absolutely i love a heist um anyway sorry it, no no totally i mean that, that's <laughs> that's one of the things that i think is really cool about it is that um uh, chronicles of darkness core always had a kind of a fan base but it was always kind of a stepping stone to to play the monster you want to play the monster um scion origin again so there's people who really dig origin but a lot of people use that stuff he's known to get to hero this is the first time i've heard of where the core book is itself a distinct cool thing and people are really grooving on its own distinct cool thing it's like so there actually is a really strong fan base for just the trinity continuum book um, yeah which is awesome yeah and then uh, we found out at the show actually that um the screens for trinity core and Anne are already sold out 
<laughs> that fast. Yeah. People were so yeah, they have none it. in the warehouse at Studio Two. They're getting more. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it went very, they went very, very quickly. So it was like, wow, okay, that's that's really exciting. So, I mean, yeah, it was, and there were tons of people who were coming up um, who were like, yo, I love Trinity. I'm so glad you guys finally brought it back. I'm glad to see it here. Um, the books look gorgeous. Um, and of course, lots of people were like, you know, Where's the next game? Where's Aberrant? Where's Adventure? Um, and so we were able to talk <laughs> about that. We're working on it. <laughs> totally. And I get it. People are excited. But I mean, you know, it's like, no, no. You know, it's like you go to Backer Kit for Aberrant. Adventure we just announced. So we're move, moving on it. And we have other things in the work on top of that, um, which we can't talk about yet. But I mean, you know, yeah, it was, it was a nice to have Trinity there and to, you know, get people excited about it because it – if, honestly, during the production, Trinity and Sion were kind of lumped together to a lot of ways. You know, it's like they're both story path games. They're both being developed kind of at the same time. And so we're seeing kind of this weird gestalt. And then when Sion came out, it's like, oh, okay, Sion. So now it's nice to have Trinity has finally has its moment in the sun. Yeah, definitely. And it is, it is a beautiful book. Well, they're both beautiful books, but Trinity is so fantastic to look at. Yeah, so many people complimented the look of it. And then and, and it's... You know, again, nice tight game. A lot of people also said some things like to said it's like it's um, one person described it as it's easy to explain because it's basically luck is your spells. Um, it's like because because mm-hmm. of things about except because characters are exceptionally lucky. That's how the talents kind of are seen to work. And it's like yeah, just consider luck to be your 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 spells and the kind of different kind of spell things you do. And it's like that's a really interesting way of explaining it. So. Yeah, it makes sense though. And I mean, yes, as you're saying, the books are really really pretty. The covers are gorgeous. I am super glad they turned out the way that everybody wanted them to on the art team. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, they're they're really cool. And I mean, sold a few gobbies, totally down with that. But also just talking to people about them was really, really fun. Because, um, you know, as as with all of these kinds, there are people that also come up and they're like, what are all these about? And I'm like, well, give me a second. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is really funny. Like, I had, I had one person come up and just kind of said, like, what are all these games about? And on our table, we had Trinity Core, Trinity Aeon, Changeling the Lost Second, Cavaliers of Mars, Pugmire, Monarchies of Mal, um, Scion, Origin, Hero, Chicago by Night. Scarlands. Scarlands. I think that and, was And yeah, but I've, what? What are these all about? They're all completely different. <laughs> Like, the only ones that are similar are kind of the Trinity ones, because they're on the same timeline, but even then, the gameplay is completely different. Right. And then you get into, like, uh, and, like, Pugmire Monarchies are similar, like, Sion ones go together. Right. But I'm like, this is going to take me a second to do, like, a one-sentence breakdown for each of these game lines. People were also really excited to see the Cults of the Blood Gods manuscript that we had on the table. Yes. Yeah, from my uh, remove over here in the UK, I was able to watch people in the World of Darkness 5th Edition Discord uh, commenting on how they had been reading the manuscripts while other people were trying to encourage them, take photos or steal the manuscript. Mm. And I was posting, please don't steal the manuscript. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was watching that uh, corner of the table like a hawk because that's mm. where our two proof copies of Chicago by Night were sitting. And yeah. so many folks were like, "Why can't I buy it yet?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry. Like, give me like, <laughs> give us a minute. It's coming out. Like, you know." But no, in, in, well, it, um, it's purely positive. The sheer amount of uh, 
good noise that was coming out from people reading Cults of the Blood Gods and then posting about what they'd read in on Discord and probably elsewhere was very pleasing to see. It's always a bit of a risk letting a manuscript out into the wild before editing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but And, you know, the, the art isn't there either, so people are just scanning through a text document, but everyone who was reading it and posting about it seemed hyped. I didn't see anyone say... What kind of campaign of the heck after got? What what idiot decided to design that? That would be me, by the way. <laughs> uh, now everyone seemed very happy uh, with the Hecata's clan bane, which I, I should come up with something nonsense now, shouldn't I? Hmm, what should I say? Something about they can only drink uh, blood in banana milkshake. There you go. That seems perfectly plausible. Yeah, that seems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was actually, uh, uh, That's the Hecata clan bane. Uh, official, it's canon. Um, Blood Nana milkshake. Jacob Burgess and I Blood actually uh, were flipping through it. Um, and so, of course, uh, as everyone, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, uh, Jacob is a wonderful human being, um, one of the writers on uh, Cult of the Blood Gods, but also really, really into Empire oh. of the Masquerade. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think we should, if we do another uh, episode of the weirdness of Empire of the Masquerade, we should bring Jacob on and have, because I'm sure he has known a lot more stuff we probably missed about that. Yeah, we could probably do one with Jacob. We could do one with Neil if we wanted to. Like, there are. Definitely people that know more about the meta plot than I do. Totally. So I will I will step out and let y'all just bring somebody in. Like if we wanted to have like a Matthew Jacob Neil Jam session, that would be a really funny episode. That would actually. be a really fun episode. Let's think about that one. Um I feel like we'd just be insulting each other a lot. Also true. That that does seem to be the relationship. But we all like each other a lot, don't get me wrong, listeners. But Neil, Jacob, and I all have that kind of attitude when it comes to each other it's taking the piss out it's yeah. probably a, yeah yeah so expect that to be quite adversarial <laughs> but in a gentle way in in a in a friendly ribbing kind of a way uh, uh digression but actually uh, i had a moment of that because um um jacob and i were kind of going through the manuscript and so it became a contest of Ooh, who got their stuff rewritten you know <laughs> Uh, and he was like <laughs> he was like oh look this, this thing I thought would get changed didn't get changed and I was like oh look let me go check to my bloodlines oh that thing oh I got changed ah oh, because we were um, yeah uh, uh, I had written um, a bit about the Putinesco and yes these, 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 I was waiting until you waiting to find out if you had yes I, I did lose that back because um, the subject the, the, the header I had written was the fucking Putinesco and it lasted through most of my drafts, but apparently it got changed to the mm-hmm. criminal Putinesca at the last minute. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah. I figured that would Jacob's happen. Jacob's didn't yeah. get changed, though. Some, yeah, some did not get changed. So that's fun. And he was very surprised at something that didn't get changed. <laughs> and we're just going to keep it away from Matt. Well, I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> now, now I'm concerned. <laughs> it's not a concern. <laughs> I will. I- I will be messaging Jacob if this podcast is over. What kind of stupid references he incorporated will, into this manuscript? I will tell you after we stop recording, and you can decide if you want to change it one more time. Right. Um, but it was it was it was uh, entertaining. Like I said, um, people were really excited about it, and you know, there were a couple people who were joking. Like one guy was very obviously pulling his phone out and checking to see if we were looking. He was doing it so slowly and obviously be able to gag, you know. Um, and then honestly, if like a snapshot floats out here and there, it's not a huge deal. It's when people are trying to photograph the whole friggin' book, right? If like there's a small paragraph, eh, okay, 
Exactly. Because, I mean, you know, we, we recognize mm-hmm. when we bring these things to shows that we want people to be talking about. That's why we have them there. We want people to, to be excited about them and talk about them. Um, we also had... But Trinity, it wasn't Trinity, just Trinity and Cuts the Blood Cuts, yeah. was it? There was another big announcement at PAX Unplugged. Uh, was there? Dixie? Was there something else? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, we had the uh, Pirates of Pugmire manuscript there, too. We did, we did. And the character creation chapter from They Came From Beneath the Sea. Yep, absolutely. All, all laid out. It was really pretty. And so people got to see um, Also, Chicago folios. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah, right, it was Chicago folios. It was Chicago folios. Yeah, so. Well, um, as the two of you are just going to be dicks. <laughs> it's in my name. Don't be <laughs> weird about the first syllable of my name. Um no, uh, so we did announce Exalted Essence. Uh, this is a project that we've been kicking around behind the scenes for quite a while. We've done a lot of planning between uh, myself, Monica Specka, and Neil Price. Um, I'm super, super excited that it's it's finally moving forward. We have a really great writing team, uh, mostly made of... Everyone that's on the writing team has written for Exalted before in some capacity. Some of them are newer to the team, but they're all longtime fans. Most of them have been playing since first, second edition. Um, so we have a really, really awesome team. I'm super excited about it. It is a streamlined rule set, a core book for Exalted third edition. Um, it will still be utilizing a variation on the storyteller system, but it's going to include all 10 Exalt types in one book for the first time. I see you're going to have Solars, Lunars, Dragonblooded, Sidereals, Exigents, Liminals, Gatimians, Alchemicals, Abyssals, and Infernals. And I'm so proud of myself for doing well that. Well done. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so we're going to have all 10 Exalt types. It's going to be. Um, one thing that people keep asking is about the, you know, cast slash aspects. And they're still going to come into play, but it's going to be a much smaller variation on some level where they will. You'll have a special power if you're this type, or you will have, you know, bonuses to this or advantage on these things or whatever, if you're certain caster aspects. Um, And we are trying to keep them all super, super flavorful and give a really good idea of what that caster aspect does um, without making it take up an entire, you know, multi-page spread. (laughs) (laughs) Because every Excel type should only be taking up a multi-page spread. Um, but yeah, so we're we're so excited to be presenting this. Um, it will be compatible with 3E in the way that you can use all the setting. Uh, we're planning to at some point release something that will show you how to convert characters back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think the things I'm most excited about are the all ten exalt types and the universal charms because one thing that makes exalted as mechanics dense as it is is that every Exalt type has, you know, 80,000 words or more of charms <laughs> right. that that go with their exalt type. But really, you don't need a super specific charm for punch things hard or swing sword good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're called, swing sword good. <laughs> yeah, punch guy yeah. face. Uh, so, so you really and re- this is how the book is going to be written. <laughs> yep. I just really like saying swing sword good. I've been saying that since we started planning this game. <laughs> I do realize it's improper grammar. It just makes me laugh. Um, but but yeah, so also charms like the like example I keep going to, and please understand that Monica Specka and Yellow Raymond Price and the writing team will be refining all of these and they will have actual names and actual power sets. But if you have something like an elemental blast, right, you can reskin that depending on what your exalt type is. 
So if we say like solar is, it's, you know, it's a beam of golden light or it's a fireball or whatever. And then for lunar is a beam of silver light or it's, you know, a, a mist that blasts out of their hand. So it's really, really easy to reskin that kind of power. So it still feels like it goes with whatever you're playing. Right. Um, without having to give you a whole new power every time. There still will be some specific uh, powers and charms for specific exalt types because we don't want everybody to be the exact same, obviously. That would be very boring. Um, but much like in even like Pugmire, where there's a ton of spells and some of them are Mancer specific or what have you. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll, have, we'll have a few that only encompass a few exalt types. We'll have a few that are only for maybe one or two. Um, we, we haven't worked out all the mechanics yet, so I can't promise everything, obviously, because I don't know what it's going to look like when we're done. Because as with any bug that we've always talked about, something can always come up in drafts. And then something can always come up in playtesting. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, yeah, so... Anything I'm talking about now, aside from the fact that we're going to have 10 exalt types, universal charms, and a simplified core book, take with a tiny grain of salt because things are always subject to change. But those things are pretty set in stone. Um, we are stripping the setting chapter down a little bit, but you don't need to buy the other X3 books to play this one. But I think that a lot of people will want the other exalted third books to get a lot of the history and setting material out of them mm -hmm. um, and also just to get ideas about what the different splats are like besides the brief overviews that we're going to be giving so it's very much a companion piece to those but also a standalone book that will have everything that you can play yeah i remember when you were kind of uh bouncing ideas off of me initially about some of the stuff was the one thing i was really intrigued by was the idea of you're presenting a a uh, you say stripped down, but really it's, it's a concise chapter. It has everything you need to play, but it's written in a way that if you've never played Exalted and you only have this book, you could just make up the rest of the stuff if you want to. Well, yeah. And it's totally fine. Because because I could pick up the, the you know, D&D core books, for instance, mm -hmm. and just kind of look through them and be like, okay, cool, vaguely medieval fantasy, let's go. Right. And then just make it up, you know? And you... So... We do want to keep that big epic fantasy feel of creation. So I know in that setting chapter, we're going to be emphasizing that creation is huge. Right. It's flat, which is still weird, but it's huge. It's <laughs> flat. Um, there's weird stuff at the outer edges. There's, you know, here are the kind of the basic, you know, cultures and peoples that can be found in the West, in the East, and what, you know, all the, all the eight directions, as it were. But then if somebody really, really want, like, needs more ideas, Go get The Realm if you want to play right. a book set on the Blessed Isle. Go get Across the Eight Directions if you want more information about that. Um, and obviously, the other thing that I want to say while we're on the podcast is that I don't want anyone to think that we're taking away from Exalted Third Edition. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of chatter about that. It seems to be like a main concern is that making this book is going to take time away from other books. Um, I couldn't give Eric and Vance another book right now if I wanted to. Right. They're working on like four. Mm -hmm. that nothing's <laughs> going to speed that up. We're already kind of splitting developers here and there in that um, on the Lunar's Companion, for instance, Eric is working with Lauren Roy as opposed to Vance as, as per usual um, because Vance needed to write some charms. So I needed to give them some time off um, and not time off, but time off developing, right. <laughs> but there's still a developing team developing all these books together, which is part of why they're not developing this one. Now that's not to say they won't be writing on it or that one of them won't be writing on it because they might be. Um, but sometimes writing is a nice break from developing. 
And the other thing about developing that I've kind of pointed out a couple times in our personal work slack that I want to also say here is that when you're developing a book, it's often like two weeks of activity followed by four weeks of just occasionally answering a question. And then two to four weeks of activity followed by four weeks of just occasionally answering a question Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the beginning of the process, you give the outline and then the writers go do what they're doing. And as long as you're answering their questions, you're fine. (laughs) It just doesn't take as much effort as some people think like developing a book isn't a process where you're working on that book every single day forever. Right. uh, Because you're not writing on it. So actually, so as this is a question people have asked, maybe it's uh, something you'd be happy to answer. I've, I've seen it appear on the forum. I saw Neil addressed it, but as not everyone's on the forum, I'll ask it here. So someone uh, posted, or maybe even a couple of people posted, if we have got people who know about Exalted writing this book, uh-huh. um, why can we not be utilizing them for the existing slate of Exalted 3rd edition releases? Yeah. Um, h- how do we justify that, essentially? Yeah, I, I definitely answer that. So we have... Let me... I'm going to open the Slack right now. It's going to talk to you. Uh, We have nine people in our dev channel. Now, they're not all devs anymore. A couple of them just kind of help out. So we've essentially got seven Exalted developers, and that's including myself, who really does need to be doing what I'm doing and not developing an Exalted book. So so we've got six. Um, Because you're more more of a producer role, right? Right. Aside from on Essence. Um, But like... So we have six developers. But even if Megan Fitzgerald and Lauren Roy go develop a book together, it still needs to go through Eric and Vance as the lead developers, just like Trinity stuff goes through Ian and Scion stuff goes through Neil. Mm. Um, Because we need to make sure the line is cohesive. We need to make sure that it's doing what we want it to be doing. We need to make sure that we're setting things up for future projects the way that we want to. Um, So because everything needs to go through Eric and Vance, at least at this point in time, um, that's, that's always going to be the case like i can't just tell megan and lauren to go off and make their own book and do whatever because even like the hundred devils night parade and adversaries of the righteous stuff we put out that still goes through eric and vance <laughs> like they still get final yay or nay on it before it goes off to approvals so that's really the issue is that i can't clone eric and vance and make more of them right if i had more eric's and vance's then maybe but also i think they would just have debates constantly and nothing would ever come out. Um, (laughs) So because they are really in charge of directing the line, I don't want to muddy that any further. Yeah. That's, 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 that's really what it comes down to. And dragon blooded lunars, the realm across the directions, these are all coming out under their purview as it were. And so like, Mm -hmm. if you like those books and you want our books to keep looking like those, this is the process we need to stick with for right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's there's only so much redlining and developing they can do because they also both have full-time day jobs and like not simple ones. So like they both have somewhat demanding full-time day jobs. So it's just not, it's not something that's easy to speed up without a major change in organization. Um, yeah. Not not to say that that won't ever happen, because I don't know what's going to happen in the coming years. But as of right now, this is what's working for us. And this is about how much they can have on their plate at once. And even then, I think it's a bit too much for right now. Mm. In the mean, um, 
not speak to results, but just in general, I mean, like, uh, since I'm working on lines like Scient and Trinity, we're having to build up a team. Um, that sometimes causes delays as well because you need, you need to have a firm creative direction. Ideally, you want to bring more and more developers on as they get comfortable so they can have more books. But even then, there's only so many books you can put into production at one time because we still have a single editor team. We still have a single layout team. So you know, if, if I get two Scion books, two Trinity books, uh, and Dixie has three Exalted books, and we have two Scarland books, and we have two Vampire books, and we have two Werewolf books, and so on and so, on and so forth, and they're all hitting editing at the same time. They're all hitting layout at the same time. Things are going to slow down there too. So we have to kind of also make sure that we're not putting too much stuff in simultaneously um, to make sure that mm-hmm. every part of the process, every part of the pipeline is is not getting overloaded. Right, exactly. So once again, like I've got, you know, other editors that work under me, but I'm still kind of the the main editor. And if nothing else, I have to take time away from editing to contact other editors and contract right. stuff out mm-hmm. and make sure I can answer their questions. And like, it's not the longest process. Obviously, it takes me less time to contract an editor than it takes me to edit it myself, depending on the project, I guess. It was like 5,000 words now, but yeah. Um, but that's that's still just part of it. Like, we are not a big company working in a big office. Yeah. <laughs> if like Eric and Vance's entire job was to sit around at in an office and work on Exalted, we would have 10 books in the pipeline. Right. We would have 12 books in the pipeline. But that's just not who we are as a company right now. Um, we all work remotely. We all, you know, help out. And I mean, I, I say right now, we're probably never all going to work in an office together. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I don't think Rich would pay for all of us to move. I don't, I don't um, think Rich want to move. <laughs> Well, right. So you have to move all of us to where he lives. In, into his house. We all live in his house now. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure he would love that. I mean, all of his kids are going off to college. He might have some room. The point is that, like, it's 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 not a full-time job for us like it is for, you know, some other companies like Wizards of the Coast or Paizo or uh, Asmodee. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not what it is. So... We do what we can, we do the best we can, but I will say that Essence is not taking away from the line at all because of the team that we're using, because it is kind of my baby, mm-hmm. and I am the overdev mm-hmm. for Exalted, um, the team that's writing on it. A lot of them are writing on other things or developing other things, but they can do those things you know, at the same time. You work a little bit on one one night, you work a little bit on the other one one night. It's 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 something that most freelance writers do is work on multiple projects at one time. Oh, yeah. most, most freelance writers, artists, editors, whatever, they all work on one thing or you know more than one thing at once. Oh yeah, and that's frankly good for the freelancer's energy in any respect. Some people do like to uh, concentrate on a single project from beginning to end and then move on to others. Some people like to work on multiple things, multiple genres, multiple systems, just to keep themselves fresh with ideas. So it's certainly not a bad thing to have writers working across multiple game lines or multiple products for the same line. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for what uh, comes of Exalted Essence because... I have always struggled to get into Exalted because of its density. I make no secret of that. And the idea of having a more focused version of the game is uh, just... It it just sounds incredibly appealing to me. I can now start to see what all the fuss is about, in in a way. Well, yeah, like, I'm not going to lie. I'll uh, kind of finish my Essence wrap-up with with this for right now. 
And that is that, like, part of the reason I'm making this is selfish. Like, I, I want to play this version of Exalted. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because I, I pitched it. Um, and I found out after I pitched it that this has been talked about before with, with various members of the team wanting to do a, a project like it. Right. So I found two of the members of the team who had already pitched it. And I was like, cool, y'all want to develop it? Like, that's cool. Uh, Monica Specka is amazing at mechanics. So that's a lot of what she's handling is the streamlining. Uh, Neil is just encyclopedic knowledge of Exalted. So a lot of the setting, figuring out what we can keep, what needs to happen, what doesn't need to happen. Um, a lot of the development process so far has been them going, well, we have to keep this, and me going, why? Right. And sometimes they justify it to me. Like, there have been many times they're like, oh, because it's important to the Exalted experience because of this, that, and then I'm like, okay, cool. So let's figure out a way to work it in. And then sometimes they're like, actually, I don't know. It's just always been done that way. And I'm like, so does it have to be that way anymore? And they're like, no. Cool. Awesome. Not going to do that then. Uh, <laughs> both, both in regards to mechanical and setting things and also just even in regards to like how the book is put together and laid out I'm like no nah, we don't do that it's fine mm-hmm. um but i have been very excited in the few days since we've announced it just to see the overwhelmingly positive response i understand some folks are skeptical skeptical i understand you know some folks are going to have questions which we will answer as soon as we can slash in due time slash when the book comes out maybe i don't know but um <laughs> but overwhelmingly the response has been this this might get me back into exalted or this is what my group needs or i want to play this game but my gaming group is intimidated by it and what's cool is that maybe they get so into like playing in this world of creation and this big epic fantasy that they eventually want to move into like straight exalted three and that's great awesome like this could be a jumping off point once you kind of have the basics down maybe moving into a system where you do have an eighty-five thousand word charms chapter is something that you want to do and that's awesome Mm -hmm. like if that's what you want to do that's great and if that's what you already want to do and you have no interest in exalted essence that's fine don't buy it yep or you know back the kickstarter and see what abyssals are maybe gonna kind of look like yeah definitely but like i mean that's you know way in the future obviously not way in the future Mm. it'll be a while but like I'm not trying to split the fan base here, you know? Right. I'm not trying to make this an addition war. This is entirely a support product for 3E, which I love. And I think that everyone on the team is doing a brilliant job working on it. And I, I love all the setting we produce. All the charms are amazing. I don't know how they keep coming up with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have no idea, like, how we're going to <laughs> do, you know, as many splats as we have lined up of charms. But they're doing it. Because Vance is... Um, <laughs> Charm um, machine. I, I, a charm machine. There we go. Vance Vance has the highest charm level of all of us on the team. That's true. Which is funny because Vance is not like talking to or tea, anybody. I guess. Um, <laughs> but, but but yeah, so like I, I love Exalted. I want to play Exalted. I want everybody to be able to play Exalted. I want Exalted to be less intimidating than it is for new players because I think Exalted is awesome. And I'm sad that there are people that don't know how cool the world of creation is because they're intimidated by the core book. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's an excellent sales pitch because, as I say, it is uh, it's an, it could be seen as an onboarding product, you know, to, just to give people their first taste. It could be the thing that draws people back, as you say. Uh, or it's, it could even be for more casual gamers. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that... The, 
there's nothing but goodness in this uh, upcoming Exalted Essence. So yeah, uh, but Eddie, as it's as it's been a little while, and we're we're coming to the end of yeah. our hour. I haven't asked you what was your highlight of Pax Unplugged. Um... Honestly, going home. Well, to be fair, I was I'm, I'm still really tired. Um, it was it was it was very exhausting because I had traveled to see my family for Thanksgiving, came back, turned two days later, traveled again. So it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, uh, I really actually did like the new booth setup because um, it allowed me to actually have chats with people uh, in a way that I always felt like I had to keep an eye on making sure I was taking care of other customers and whatnot. Like, like Dixie said, you know, where it's kind of like, Oh shit, sorry. Let me go bring this person up or whatever. Or answer this person watching. Um, so if someone actually wanted to just know more about a game, I could sit down and actually explain to them, you know, this is what Trinity's about. This is what Chicago by night's about. So on and so forth. Um, but also being able to run the demos there, uh, as opposed to in some other room really far off, it was really nice to be able to go, Hey, this game you just played. It's right there. You can go pick it up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would yeah. go play the game, go pick it up, and then come back and ask for autographs, like for me or Megan or whoever, um, you know, whichever game they were picking up. Uh, so, I mean, I think it was a nice experience because it's like I had to play the game with one of the people who worked on it, and then I got to buy the game, and then they got it signed by the person who worked on it. You know, there's a nice little cycle there that was, that was just very, very cool and interesting to me. Um, but the other thing is also, I always like going to these shows because I like to look at um, things that aren't ours and things that maybe I hadn't been mm-hmm. aware of previously. And so I, ideally every year I try to find like one game that goes, oh, that's neat. I hadn't heard that before. Um, and this year actually it was because I'm so on brand. So on brand. A Sherlock so on brand. <laughs> it was um, a, a, a called graphic novel adaptations um, by a company called Men Writer Games. And they do uh, – uh, uh, adaptations of French um, games, but they're interactive graphic novels. Um, so I, I picked up some Sherlock Holmes ones, and basically, it's you invest, you look at a crime scene, and each the crime scene, each of the clues of the crime scene has a number, and that's the, the number of the panel you turn to to get more information about it. Uh, and you can ask people questions, and you can go to other answers to different panels and whatnot. And the art's actually really nice. It's a little cartoony, but I think that actually works for what the game's doing. Um, it's very much like, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, Consulting Detective. I love Consulting Detective. And it's kind of scratches a lot of Consulting Detective itch in a very small, compact book form. So it was an interesting little thing I hadn't seen before. So I'm curious to see if there's more stuff like that. Have you played the Thames Murder box, uh, Thames Murder's box for uh, Consulting Detective? Um, so it has the Jack the yeah, Ripper I ha- cases. Yeah, I have that one. I've, I've played the Jack the like... Ripper cases, and I'm not a fan of how they're structured. Um, because they try too hard to use real-world information, and it just ends up not being a, a nice, clean case, which I think for consulting detectives specifically, it, it should be a sense of there is an answer, and if you didn't get it, you just missed something, whereas with Jack Ripper case, it's like, yeah, it could kind of yeah. be a few different things. I don't know, which isn't really a fun experience. Yeah. It's interesting. I asked that because I was having the exact same experience. I played through some of the Jack the Ripper ones recently, and they left me a little cold because I understand that that it isn't making any wild leaps. It's not saying uh, this guy was, in fact, Jack the Ripper. It is almost entirely historically accurate information passed within a the fictional Sherlock Holmes narrative. Mm. And yeah, it just didn't seem to just didn't seem to work. No, I mean, for me. they, 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 they... I'm looking forward to getting onto the 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 big house version. What's it called? The Queen's um, 
Carlton House. Yeah, I have that Park. one too, which I haven't started yet. And I know what they're trying to do. It's like each day of the case gives you a mini mystery to solve, so it gives you some kind of closure. But the reality is that you're playing Jack the Ripper cases. Mm. You want to find who Jack the Ripper is, and it just doesn't deliver. Yeah, and but at the same time, you'd be disappointed if it turned out to be Moriarty. Right. <laughs> or any of his hench right. people. Yes, by the way, I was every villain in the late 19th century. Uh, so, we, we come to a close. Dixie. Yes? Where should people find you online? Well, first, I'm going to answer the question that you asked Eddie and not me, because I sat here prepping an answer the whole time y'all were talking about Sherlock Holmes Killing Detective. <laughs> I was giving you. I was giving you a rest. <laughs> My hair party packs unplugged. <laughs> um, as with most conventions, is meeting everyone and putting faces to names. So talking to the Gehenna Gaming crew, including like with Ian and Rick and everybody. Talking to everybody from Devil's Luck, you know, Connery, Sandra, like all the people that I've, I've met online and not seen in person before. Uh, meeting Celeste Conaweth. Uh, Chaz Kellner, who does a story told podcast, but is also on the Exalted team. Meeting him in person was super cool. So, yeah, just for me, it's the constant stream of like, hi, I'm so and so. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, oh, I'm this on the forums. And I'm like, oh, hi. Right. You know, or I'm I'm this on Discord. Hello, friend. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's my favorite part is just constantly kind of being like, oh, I know you. I just didn't, I don't know you in person. Oh, you're much taller than I thought. Hello. Like, you know. Uh, so that's that's really fun for me. As for people can find me, uh, they can find me as always at DixieCochran.com or Dixie Cyanide on pretty much all social media. What about you, Eddie? Um, my main website people can find me is at PugSteady.com, and from there you can get links to all my social media accounts. Um, and also uh, you can find me on the forums at TheOnyxBath.com. And they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com, and I'm on Twitter as ClackClickBang, and we always post the links down below, but do check out the Onyx Path Discord, do check out the Onyx Path forums, and look up the Onyx Path discussion group on Facebook as well. There's plenty of avenues where we go talking about our games, not just the Onyx Pathcast. But thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Many worlds, one pathcast. Cast.